ever wanted to try to read the whole Bible in a year, let me give you a little encouragement. The average reader can read 15 minutes a day, five days a week. You can take two days off, and you'll get through the whole Bible in a year. Just 15 minutes a day, five days a week, and you can get through it. Now, if you read Isaiah this week in preparation, raise your hand up, see Isaiah, and then reach way back and pat yourself on the back. Because this is a hard one, man. You read 25,608 words. I mean, that is a lot. And a lot of those words are what? Bad news for the Israelites. I mean, there was a lot of bad news in the book of Isaiah. If it's a good book, man, no, we don't have problems putting that down, right? Everybody likes a good book. Isaiah is not exactly exciting, full of adventures. It's a challenging book. At times, it felt like it was the longest book in the Bible. Am I right? I mean, you read it, if you read it, it's, it's long. But it's not actually the longest book in the Bible. Anyone know the longest book in the Bible? Anyone? Bueller? Anyone? <laughs> Jeremiah. If you said Jeremiah, you are correct. That's the longest one. It has the most words of uh, any books in the Bible. And um, Isaiah actually ranks sixth. Sixth is uh, how many... Uh, in that one. But Isaiah has a very unique structure. I think you're going to like this. I don't know if you've ever noticed this about the book of Isaiah, but it was given 66 chapters. That happened back in the 12th century, but it gave 66 chapters. And how many books are in the Bible? 66. That's right. And Isaiah actually has two distinct parts to it, two distinct sections. How many parts does the Bible have? Two, the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? In Isaiah, the first section is 39 chapters. Guess how many books are in the Old Testament? 39. Guess what the Old Testament is really about? Well, you don't have to guess. You probably know. Kind of the Old Testament's about what? God's God's judgment, right? And we see that a lot in the Old Testament, right? Condemnation for God's people disobeying. Guess what Isaiah the first 39 chapters are about <laughs> exactly that. And then the second half, the New Testament, has 27 books, and Isaiah has 27 chapters, and it's all about grace. It's all about salvation through the Messiah. Isaiah is a very unique book. It has a lot of interesting structure. It gives some of the most detailed prophecies about the coming Messiah, especially in chapter 53, the suffering servant. You ever read that chapter before? The suffering servant who bore our sins? We'll get into that. One website I I looked up um, showed that 11 of the top 40 most influential prophecies, the messianic prophecies, 11 of them come from Isaiah. So you see the the impact this has. Now, most Christians don't really read Isaiah. I mean, unless your pastor forces you to, right? Through reading the Bible in the year. Nobody's going to wake up in the morning and say, Oh man, I can't wait to read my Bible this morning and I'm going to pick Isaiah because <laughs> I like judgment. <laughs> you just don't do that. You pick the easy one, like, you know, a shorter New Testament book, right? But actually, when you read the New Testament, you're actually reading Isaiah. Whether you realized it or not, I'm going to show you that today. Isaiah is, is so prevalent in the New Testament. In fact, to say that the New Testament authors were familiar with this guy named Isaiah, this prophet named Isaiah, would be a drastic understatement. In fact, Isaiah is alluded to or quoted directly about a hundred times in the New Testament. 
That is a lot. I mean, he was a very influential prophet. But I'm going to give you two big reasons why Isaiah is so significant. Two people, actually. John the Baptist and Jesus himself. John the Baptist and Jesus initiated their ministries with the words of Isaiah. I don't know if you realize that or not. John the Baptist is, uh, 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 shows up in all four Gospels, but Mark actually begins his Gospel with this, uh, these very words. I'll, I'll show you in Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. In verse 1, he says, The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember, Gospel means good news. The Son of God. And then what does he say in verse 2? As it is written in Isaiah the prophet. He's quoting Isaiah 40, verse 3. He says, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Basically, John the Baptist saw his life purpose in fulfilling Isaiah 40, verse 3. Then there's Jesus. How did he begin his ministry? We see this in Luke chapter 4, the Gospel of Luke, verses 16 through 21. Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. It was his custom to go into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up and read, and what was handed to him? The scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He unrolled that scroll. He found the place where it was written, Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus rolled up that scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and all the eyes of the whole synagogue were fixed on him. Imagine just that moment where they were all just staring at him. What did he just say? They were trying to just take it all in. And then he goes, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That's amazing. Jesus would go on to reference Isaiah multiple times. Isaiah was a very influential prophet. And God used him in a mighty way. I just want to tell you too, in order to be a a true prophet, in order to be recognized as a true prophet and not a false prophet, you had to speak God's word, because that's what a prophet did, right? You had to speak God's word in what I would call bifocal prophecies. Some of you might have bifocals, and it helps you see near, and it helps you see far. You see, a prophet had to pre or speak God's word, and it had to come true in the near, in the now, in his lifetime. And then it also would come true later on. And that's what we see when we see a true prophet. That's why Isaiah is in the Bible. That's why the others, like Jeremiah, are in the Bible, because their prophecies came true when they were alive. When when they spoke, it it, it, it was something that happened then, and then it happened later on. Or in some cases, it's yet to happen in the future. There are prophecies that are yet to happen. Isaiah spoke prophecies that all came true. And some of your favorite prophecies of the Messiah, of Jesus, come from Isaiah. And I'm going to get into those. Um, I don't know about you, but when I, when I read the Bible, 
and I see something that resonates with me, the Holy Spirit kind of speaks to you as you're reading the Bible. That's why it says the Word of God is living and active. I like to highlight it in my Bible. I like to underline it. If I'm using my um, technology app, my, my Bible app, um, it's a lot easier. And, and what I really like about it is I talk about on Wednesdays when we have our Bible study service here and our prayer service, I like to um, uh, connect the verses, find out where that is, is elsewhere in the Bible. And so I did that as I went through Isaiah in preparation for this, as I just would read the, the chapter and then I would say, oh yeah, that sounds familiar. I know I've seen that before and I'd highlight it. And as I got through the whole book of Isaiah, all 66 chapters, I went back through it and I realized, wow, I highlighted a lot. There's a lot in Isaiah that I didn't even realize that I had saw before, read before in the New Testament. The New Testament is full of Isaiah. And I want to kind of go through a lot of those verses with you this morning so you can see it for yourself and you'll recognize a lot of those verses. But I don't want you to miss the theme. I don't want you to miss the point of Isaiah. And I think it comes down to a four-letter word, hope. Hope. Hope is so important. Even in the midst of pronouncing judgment from God to uh, God's people, God, uh, Isaiah preached a message of hope. It was distinct, it was clear. Hope was found in a Savior, and that Savior has a name, and we call him, let me hear you, church, Jesus. That's right. That's why the title of this message is Hope in Jesus. I have hope in Jesus. Do you have hope in Jesus this morning? That is where our hope needs to be. A lot of people in this world have lost hope. We've lost hope when it comes to finding a special someone, when it comes to a marriage, we've given up on our finances, we've given up on friendships, we've given up on cures for illnesses. But I'm telling you this morning, please don't give up. Please don't give up. I mean, what would the world look like right now if everybody just said, you know what, we give up on COVID? What would the world look like? I mean, we are not giving up on that. There, we, are, we are trying to find a way through this, weathering this storm. We have hope that this is going to be over soon, and we can go back to kind of not wearing face masks everywhere we go, right? I mean, we have hope. That's what's getting us through every single day. Hope is important. Hope is critical. If hope disappears, the evil one wins, right? Hope is that critical. If you agree, let me hear you. We have a calling, I think, to share hope with everyone as Christians, if we have hope in Jesus, we need to share that with other people because there's a lot of people that need hope. And I believe that Isaiah had a calling on his life to share hope. Um, he did it in a unique way, and we have our own ways to do that. But Isaiah heard the call with a, a question from God. And that's where we're going to begin as we go through these verses in Isaiah. It begins in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6 is a wonderful chapter. Verse 8, I want to read this to you. Isaiah heard the voice of the Lord saying to him, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah responded to God. That's our worship, by the way, how we respond to God. He said, Here I am, send me. What a great response. Will you respond as Isaiah did? You won't have to look very hard to find someone who's in hope, who is in need of hope. We live in a broken and lost world. You probably just have to take 10 steps to your next door neighbor's house. They are in need of hope. 
and ye need to share that. We need to answer God's call. God is calling all of us. Who will go? And Isaiah simply said, here I am, send me. I hope we have that same response. Um, In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah saw something that's really amazing. And and actually, if you come Wednesday night, um, we have a Bible study and a prayer service here. It's um, at 7 o'clock, and I'm going to go deeper into Isaiah chapter 6 because I think it's such an important chapter. But in that, I'm going to read to you a few verses here. I believe that whenever Isaiah got kind of bogged down in life, whenever he got a little bit depressed or maybe got a little bit off track or distracted from his mission, I believe that he always came back to this moment in his life. And I'm sure you never get distracted, you never get bogged down, you never get depressed. But if you do, you come back to that moment where you know God loves you and you know God is in control. And that's exactly what Isaiah saw in chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Check this out with me. I think you are probably familiar with it. He says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. That alone, you could just dwell on that, couldn't you, for days? Just imagining that. Above him stood a a seraphim with six wings, two covering the face, two with the feet, and two he flew. And another, and a call to another, and they sang, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah saw the holiness of God, and he responded the way that, well, I hope, I would assume all of us would respond when we see the holiness of God and then we look in the mirror. He said, woe is me, for I am ruined. That's the response that Isaiah had. Woe is me, for I am ruined. Or as we like to say, we're up Poop's Creek without a paddle. We're in trouble. We are in big trouble. And he was right because he was a sinner like we all are, but God in that moment cleansed him He forgave him, and he gave him hope. And I think that just motivated Isaiah. Every single time he felt a little down and out, he went back to that moment in his life where he knew he was forgiven, where he knew God was on the throne and God was in charge. If you ever are in that time in your life where you just feel down and out, you feel like giving up, and you need hope, you just remember God is in control. He is on the throne, and no one is going to take him off it. He's in charge, and he will forgive you. God is on the throne. You have hope in Jesus. Do you agree? Turn to someone next to him and say, hallelujah, I agree. (laughs) Isaiah is the only prophet to mention the virgin birth. Did you know that? He's the only one to mention the virgin birth. It's in Isaiah 7, 14. He says, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And what does Emmanuel mean? That's right. I put it in parentheses so you would get it. Isn't that good? That's not in your Bible. I did that for you. Hope. Think about what hope that brings. God is with us. Jesus walked this earth just like you did. He lived among us. He understands you. He had emotions like you have emotions. He gets it. God gets it. What other religion can say that? None. Just ours. We have a God who knows us, who loves us, who walked like we do. It's amazing. Verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 6. 
Another prophecy about the birth of the Messiah. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall rest upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Regardless of the elections, we have this understanding that God is in control, don't we? Even if our leadership goes to hell in a handbasket, who knows what's going to happen in the next four years, or even locally or in our state, but we know one thing for sure, <coughs> say, <coughs> excuse me, someday Jesus will come back and he will establish his kingdom on this earth. God is on the throne. We have hope in Jesus. Chapter 11, we see in verse 1 and 2, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Jesse was David's father. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. In the Gospels, two of them, you have the genealogy of Jesus. And in that genealogy, it's traced back to the Messiah prophecy that it comes from the line of David. We have Jesus being the branch from the line of David, the stump of Jesse. And then this part, verse 2, we see in his baptism, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, and might, of knowledge and fear of the Lord. Jesus was baptized, and all the Gospels say that when he was baptized, the Spirit, like a dove, came down and rested upon him. Isn't that amazing? That's that prophecy being fulfilled when Jesus was baptized. Now, the beauty of it is we know as Christians, after Acts 2, that Jesus then gave us the Holy Spirit to dwell in us. So the Holy Spirit rests in us, and that gives us much hope in Jesus. Amen? If you read chapter 14 on your own, you'll see um, why the devil was cast out of heaven and the specific name that Isaiah gives him. If you read chapter 24, you'll see that the Lord on Judgment Day is going to trash the earth worse than a teenager can trash their bedroom. But the good news is, even though the earth will be pretty trashed, the good news is Isaiah 25 verse 8 says that he will swallow up death forever and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. We sang that today. He will wipe away tears from all faces. If you go on to chapter 27, you'll see Leviathan, the great sea dragon. This could be the creature that was labeled or is labeled today as the megalodon. I don't know if you're into science or, or um, what's going on, but um, there was uh, a guy, um, I have a picture for you, that found a tooth of a megalodon, which could very well be a leviathan, in Myrtle Beach, believe it or not, and there's that tooth. Look how big. That's one tooth of a sea creature, and I'll tell you what, I was in Myrtle Beach in August, and I couldn't even find a fish, let alone a big old tooth like that. But there are some pretty big monsters that God made on this earth and in the sea. And Isaiah mentions them. Isaiah 28, verse 16, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Does that sound familiar? We sang that today. The cornerstone. In fact, Jesus quoted this verse as well as Paul in Romans 9.33 
as well as Peter in 1 Peter 2.6. Jesus being the cornerstone. Understand this. If you put your faith in a religious tradition, if you put your faith in your works, if you put your faith in anything but Christ alone, you're building your house on shifting sand. It's going to crumble as soon as the storm comes. But if you build it on the cornerstone, if you build it on a strong foundation, your faith will not fail. You will have hope in Jesus. He is the rock of our salvation. You agree? There are religious traditions. Every church has them, depending on how long they've been around, right? Every denomination um, from Baptist to Methodist to Lutheran to Catholic. We all have our specific traditions. But I think it's important to understand that traditions, they are nice and they should help us worship, but they should not replace genuine worship. I was reading this article of a, of a woman who was a regular churchgoer and because of COVID stopped going to church and missed it, and wrote this article saying how much she missed it. And she described what she missed. She missed her favorite pew. She missed um, the decorations in the church. She missed the structure of the service. But I didn't really hear or see anything that said she missed the, the word of God being preached, or missed um, genuine worship, um, or loving other people. There was, there was a sense of, you know, I could be wrong, but there was a sense of, like, there was the tradition that was the worship instead of genuine worship, responding to God. You see, Jesus attacked that. He had something to say about empty worship. It's not worship if you just go to church and go through the motions. I mean, even when you sing the songs, do you really think about the words that you're singing? Are you engaging in the worship? Jesus said this in Matthew 15, verses 7 through 9. He said, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you. In Isaiah 29, 13, he said, this people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. The men's commandments, man-made commandments, traditions, have become more important than God's commandments. That was Jesus' problem with false or, or, or bad worship. When we design a worship service here, it is to help you engage in genuine worship. You sing the songs to God. You hear the word of God being taught. And then you love one another in fellowship. That's the beauty of, I, I, I go home on Sundays after church and I'm like, Man, I didn't get a chance to talk to so-and-so. I didn't get a chance to talk to so-and-so. I, I want to say hi to everyone. I want to talk to everybody because I, I just that's the beauty of God's church. It's, so much, it's great fellowship. You know, you, it's just, it's sweet. It's special. I think you agree. Chapter 37, you will read the power of one angel. And there are many. One angel destroyed 185,000 Assyrians, the enemy. Uh, many will know this great verse, Isaiah 40, verse 31. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up like wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. How many of you love that verse? I mean, that's got to be a favorite by many. 
Keep that one visible. Isaiah 52, 7. Isaiah said, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. You heard that before? In Romans 10, 15, Paul said that God uses our feet to bring the good news of salvation to those that need it. We bring the good news. We have the hope in Jesus. Now the final prophecies in the end of Isaiah here deal with the death of Jesus. In Isaiah 52, verse 14, he says, As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance. His form beyond that of children of mankind. So marred beyond human... That's, of course, referring to um, before his crucifixion, he was beaten. Have you ever seen the movie The Passion? Right? The, the suffering that he went through the week uh, or, or the days leading up to his crucifixion. He was beaten. He couldn't even recognize him. That's how bad it was. Now here's an interesting truth that I don't think many realize. Jesus was not a very good-looking man. I know that you've probably seen pictures of Jesus on someone's wall or in a church. And my guess is, is that picture was a very attractive picture of a Middle Eastern-looking man. When were cameras invented? When did Jesus pose for a picture? He didn't. Right? We just want that to be our view, our picture of Jesus. The truth is, in Isaiah 53 too, he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground, and he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. See, any human or any handsome picture you might see of Jesus is not really accurate according to Scripture. Which tells you what? Right? We know that saying, beauty is skin deep, right? That, that was Jesus. That's what Scripture teaches us. Then we have the crucifixion in Isaiah 53. Many, many of these are amazing prophecies that Isaiah spoke of hundreds of years before it ever happened. He was pierced for our transgressions, verse 5, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. I think Peter said that. Crucifixion wasn't even invented, by the way, when Isaiah wrote this. The death of Jesus brings spiritual healing. In verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yet God takes our sin and puts it on Jesus. That's what that prophecy was saying. Verse 7, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, and yet he, not, he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its shears is silent, he did not open his mouth. Don't we see that in Scripture? When Jesus, he, he could have done anything to get out of that situation, but he didn't open his mouth. He could have called down every angel to rescue him, but he kept silent because not my will, but your will be done, Father. That was his purpose, to come and die for us. Verse 9, I love this one. They made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. The Messiah would be put into a rich man's grave. 
And don't you know it? Joseph of Arimathea requested from the Roman officials that he could take Jesus' body down off that cross and he could take care of it in its burial. And he was a wealthy, wealthy man and he put Jesus' body in his own tomb. You just can't make this stuff up, folks. I mean, this is, this is prophecy being fulfilled, written hundreds of years prior. His ways are not our ways. Who said that, by the way? Well, I guess Isaiah did, since we're in Isaiah. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. We like saying that. You know, his ways are not our ways. I hear people say that all the time. You know, things don't happen the way we want it to happen. Oh, his ways are not our ways. Well, Isaiah said that. He says in verse 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Your ways are not my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts better than your thoughts. God has it all worked out. We need to share our hope in Jesus with others. Open our mouths. Share it. Tell others. God's in control. And when you talk to others about Jesus, good things will always happen. I know we don't think that. I know we've shared our faith with other people, and we haven't got the results we had hoped for. I mean, I, I wish every time that I shared with someone, you know, if you just put your hope in Jesus, if, if you would just surrender your life right now to Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, your life will be different. And I just would love to know that right then and there, they would be like, okay, I'm in. Baptize me in the name of Jesus. All right? I, I want forgiveness. Well, it doesn't happen, does it? But you know what we know? We know that when we speak for Jesus, his word does not come back void. You ever heard that before? That's in Isaiah 55, 11. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. It doesn't come back void. It shall accomplish, accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. That's God's word. The final verse I want to mention comes at the end of Isaiah. Isaiah 65, 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. When you leave this place today, you might be thinking that God's preparing a new heaven and a new earth. It's windy out. <laughs> you can probably hear it. Super windy out. But someday, God will create a new heaven and a new earth. And that sounds a lot like a book at the end of the Bible that we're getting to called Revelation. That's how he ends Isaiah, just like Revelation. Isaiah is this mini Bible, isn't it? It's amazing, and it's full of hope in Jesus. Did you know in 1946, when they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls, one of those scrolls was the book of Isaiah. When they stretched it out, it was 24 foot long, okay? And they wrote, the scribes were meticulous about writing on the scrolls and, and getting the words of the person, the prophet, they wanted to get those things right. And I just want to show you the accuracy of what we have. You see, before the Dead Sea Scrolls, the oldest documents that we had for like the book of Isaiah was dated around 800 A.D. The Dead Sea Scrolls were dated 1,100 years prior to that. 1,100 years. And don't you know that when they compared the book of Isaiah, for example, that they only found, they only found nine letters different? Not nine words, not nine chapters, not nine little letters 
over 1,100 years. A scribe was very meticulous in copying it down. We have in our possession the Bible, the words of Isaiah, which were given to him by God. We don't have to doubt that. Every prophecy of the Messiah fulfilled by Jesus. And we give thanks for this ministry of Isaiah, this great calling that he had. He says he served four kings. But there's actually a fifth one that he probably served. His name was Manasseh. And Manasseh is probably responsible for having Isaiah killed. In fact, the way he had him killed is pretty gruesome. He had him sawed in two. And if you recall the great chapter 11 of Hebrews, in the chapter 11, we have that hall of faith, right? All of those great men and women who lived for Christ. Some of them were martyred. And in there, you'll see in verse 37, it says, some were stoned, some were sawn in two, probably referring to Isaiah, and some were killed with the sword. But I tell you what, if Isaiah knew that was going to be his end, would he have responded any differently to that great question God asked him back in chapter 6, verse 8? Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? I think a thousand times over, Isaiah would have said, send me. I'll go. And my prayer is, is that you will go too. I hope that all of us will respond to that call and we will go and we will share hope in Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word today. Thank you for Isaiah, for his ministry, for using him. Father, I pray that all of us can be used by you. I pray that we all have gifts. We know we have them, that you um, empower us through your Holy Spirit to use them to build up your church. Father, that you would continue to build up this church for your glory. Not for our glory, but for your glory. So that we can know you we can make you known, and that many will come to know you in a, in a very personal way. Father, that we wouldn't have a church that people come to go through the, the, the motions, that they would come to, to truly worship you, that we could feel your presence, that your Holy Spirit would be powerful and active right in the midst of our lives. Thank you, Father, for this day of worship, that we've come together and gathered Pray that you'll protect us. In Jesus' name, amen.